0: Vertical, how we doing? I missed y'all. My brother, I, was, I missed last week. I wasn't able to be here. My brother got married, which was bougie and amazing. And uh, it's just, it's like amazing to be back. Sometimes you just need to get away for a minute. You know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. I'm like so excited to be back and be with you tonight. And I just want to start by telling you that I grew up as a Boy Scout. And the reason why I start with that, do I have any other Boy Scouts in here? All right. Eagle Scout, that was me too. Fly like a birdie. There you go. Um, Honestly, my mom made me do it. But I still, it's like the one accomplishment that they tell you you can put on your resume for the rest of your life. Probably not true. It gets weird. I've I've done it. And uh, it's not that... Impressive, But a lot of presidents were Eagle Scouts anyways. And I, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God, in my country, to obey the scout law, to help other people all the time. So i keep myself visually strong, mentally awake, morally straight. I still got it all, you know. It's in here. It's in the dome. But anyways, didn't plan to say that. Uh, why did I start with this? I was a Boy Scout. We would go on campouts. And as we were, we were camping, what we would do is we would, we would play with fire. And that's what good Boy Scouts do, they play with fire. And so we got really good at playing with fire. And at one point, uh, we we were playing with fire and we figured out how to put a tennis ball in a specific solution. I'm not gonna tell you the solution because I don't wanna encourage you to do these same things. And we would light this tennis ball on fire and we would play things like tennis and baseball. And uh, as we'd play tennis and baseball, Specifically, whenever we'd play baseball, we'd be you know, in a field and we'd hit the ball. And every time the tennis ball hit the ground, it would light on fire, which was an amazing game of baseball. So the goal wasn't just to get the person out. The goal was also to make sure you have to put the fire out. And so this is a really exciting game. Uh, I, I, I don't advise it, but really exciting. And one day we're in a state park and we're camping and we're playing baseball. And a park ranger drives up, and it just did not go over well. He didn't think it was as cool as we thought it was, right? For whatever reason, he, he wasn't as excited. And so we had all of our parents call. We were kicked out of the state park. You know, I'm still not sure if I'm allowed back in that state park or any state park. Honestly, not sure. But what was crazy was we didn't realize, and the park ranger was very clear. He, he was like, do you guys realize that? Forest fires start because of kids like you. And we're like, all right, chill out, right? Like there's a hundred of us, we can put out these little baby fires from this tennis ball, right? But really like what we didn't understand was that 85%, like I went and looked it up, 85% of wildland fires are caused by humans, by by fires that aren't... attended by burning debris, by equipment malfunctions, by cigarettes being just thrown, like all these different things like fire start because of this. And the reason why I start with this tonight is because the Bible, yes, the Bible talks about fire and specifically it uses this image of fire and how such a small fire or forest fire start from sparks, forest fires start from small flames and the Bible talks about this in James when it talks about the tongue and our mouths and the importance of our words and how they can be so destructive, yet it's just such a small thing. It's like a little bitty fire. But if it's out of control, it can destroy everything. And James goes on to say in the scripture that the that same mouth that we bless people with is the same mouth that we curse people with. And so this fire can be helpful Because fire is a good thing when it's controlled and used in the right way. It can provide heat, warmth, protection, all these different things. So it can be provided as blessing or it could be cursing. And the cursing can be destructive. As James says, he uses the image of a fire. And the reason we're going to start with this tonight is because we're starting a new series. It's called Blank Versus Blank. And we're going to look at a worldly thing and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about it. We're gonna see what Christians have to say about it. We're gonna see how the gospel is meant to be applied and how the world doesn't want you to apply this thing. All right? And here's, here's why, tonight we're gonna to talk about words. And here's the reality. We don't realize how much we waste our words. We've, we've made wasting words normative. I would even venture to say that many of the words you use today were just somewhat of a waste. They're filler words. And I I don't know what you would define words as wasted as. But for me, I I would just want you to know that wasted words are words of gossip. Making fun of other people. Talking about ourselves in a boastful or selfish way. Or talking even about useless things. Shooting the bull is what we call it. This is how we waste words and I just want you to think, like take a moment, what did you say today? Think about it. What did you talk about? In class, with your roommates, with your friends, on your way here, what did you talk about? You see, I think truly we are wasting so many of our words and there's something so much greater that we can be doing with them. And what's crazy about college is, I found this out for whatever reason, like friendships are kind of a secret competition. You ever notice that? If you haven't, maybe pay more attention. Like as you're going around your days, like everyone's just kind of like measuring up against one another and trying to be better than one another. And that's honestly why we're not willing to tell other people when we like fail or do something wrong because we don't want them to think more highly of us. We don't want them to think that they're better than us. And that's why we make fun of other people. We're like, if I can just make fun of that person that's awesome more and more and more and more, I can just push them down, push them down, push them down. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we're buddies. Guys, we're notorious at this. Our form of encouragement is being like, man, you look like an idiot. Great work, right? Or, you know, it's like, wait, what? Was that an encouraging or was that a dart that you just threw? Like we, we have no concept of what it looks like. To encourage somebody, we, we waste words on things like uh, even sports. Like for me, like I I'd probably talk a little bit too much about sports. And I'm not saying you can't watch The Bachelor talk about The Bachelor watch sports talk about sports. Like I, I think it's good that we can connect with people over things like that. But I'm saying that that shouldn't be the only thing we talk about. And so as I said, we're starting a new series, blank versus blank. Today's is we're wasting words versus encouragement. Another way of saying it is entertainment versus encouragement. Like some of us are trying to entertain people to win their approval, say, look at me. And what we're trying to do is say, we want to be people who are saying, there you are. We want to encourage others. So entertainment versus encouragement. Those are the two verses or wasting words versus encouragement. Whichever one you prefer, you get to choose tonight. Here we go. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews 10. This is where we're going to be as I just read to you. We're going to just jump to verse 24. verse 24 is kind of the end of the passage, the culmination of the passage that I just read. And it says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the first point I want us to see tonight is build up. Like I take this from the word stir up. In the passage, I I personally, I don't stir much, not much of a cook. So I went ahead and just shifted that to build up. But what I love about the author of Hebrews, let's just talk really quickly about context for a moment. Hebrews has an unknown author. It was likely written about 68 or 69 A.D. before the temple was destroyed. Some of you are like, who cares? Here's the deal. I'll get to that later but it was written to Jewish believers. We don't know who wrote it, but it was to Jewish people who believed that Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And so what's happening here is the author is saying, hey, we have to be thoughtful of how to encourage people. Because what's happening to, to the Jewish believers is they're going through suffering. They're going through a hard time. They're going through a trial. And the author is saying we must be thoughtful of how to encourage people. How do we stir people? How do we build people up for love and good works? Because what's starting to happen apparently in verse 25, if you see in the scriptures, in the text, it's saying you're not also we need to not neglect meeting together. So whatever's happening, it's hardship. They are not being thoughtful of one another and they're stopping hanging out together. As Christians, And so the author's just like, hey, you need to be thoughtful. We must help one another. Wow, let there be light. But here's the deal. It's hard for us to encourage others and consider others if we're only thinking about ourselves. And I want to pose this question to you. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When is the last time you were thoughtful about building others up? When was the last time you were like, actually took some thought? You're like, how can I encourage my roommate today? How can I encourage this person who's in this group project with me today? When's the last time we were thoughtful about these things? And then what I love about this text is it's like, don't neglect meeting together. It's like, we can't, we can't encourage one another if we aren't meeting together. Like we can't encourage one another if we're not going to church, we're not coming to gatherings like this, we're not doing Bible studies, we're not in accountability community, all these different things. Like we can't be encouraged by one another unless we continue to meet with one another. And what I love also is it says all the more as you see the day drawing near. So like as things get worse, and maybe things are worse now than 1,900 years ago, right? Like there might be a little bit more evil in the world. I don't know what your worldview is, But let's just say things have gotten a little worse. And because things have gotten worse, what the text is saying is that we need to be even more, more purposeful in building each other up, more purposeful in connecting and gathering and reminding ourselves and encouraging one another of what God has done and who we are because of what Christ has done. And the reason why this is so important It's because we're busy with so many things that don't matter. And I, I want to be careful because it, it's sing week. But, like, I've, I've done the sing thing. Like, and I mean this sincerely. Like, I've done it. I've, I've won it. And it's just, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I don't even remember what the act was called. I won twice. Can't remember the name of either. Like, it just so doesn't matter. But you know what it does is the busyness, it keeps us from gathering together. Like you're, you're probably less likely to spend time in the word. You're less likely as, as things get busy to spend time and going to church. And all these different things and gathering together. And we're busy with silly things that won't matter in the future. And we're wasting our words on things that don't matter either. We're just amusing others. We want to entertain others. We want people to look at us. And what I love, what I want to challenge you with, is we must quit being amusing and we must start being encouraging. Like we have to stop being amusing and entertainers and we must start using our words. They matter. There isn't a soul in this city that couldn't use some encouragement. I don't know if there's a soul in the world that couldn't use some encouragement because words are like fire, the fire that I mentioned. They can provide comfort, they can be useful for heat and cooking and building and protection. Words are like fire, they can burn or they could build security. They can wound or they can heal. They could destroy or they can protect. And so I'm advocating that we quit wasting our words and we start thinking about how we can build up others to love and good works. And not just do it once, but like continue to do it. As times get harder, we do it more and more. And so the first thing is to build up. In verse 19, let's go back to the beginning. Building up was at the end, but let's go back and see what comes before the building up. In verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's stop right there. The first thing was build up. The second is to draw near. What this passage is saying is therefore, and then jump to verse 22, let us draw near. Everything in between the therefore and the let us draw near is just proving how we can draw near. Why do we draw near? How do we have the ability to draw near? This is what it's saying. And if you're like me, you might read this and listen to this and be like, what is this talking about? Honestly, like first read, I'm like confidence to enter the holy places Where's that? By the blood of Jesus. Okay, I get that. And the new and living way that he opened through the curtain. What curtain? I'm like, what are we talking about here? And what I love is this is written to Jews. That's the reality. This, this wasn't written to you. You don't know the Old Testament as well as Jews knew the Old Testament. And so this is saying draw near. Why? Because of what we've done? Does the text say that we're good, therefore we can draw near to God? Absolutely not. Our good isn't good enough to draw near to God. There's nothing in here that would say that you be good or you be a good encourager, you build people up and then God will love you. No, that's not what it's saying. This is written to Jews that still couldn't draw near. Like they were still going to the temple and they were offering sacrifices of animals and blood And they couldn't even go in to the the, the holy place where God was because there was a curtain between them. Only specific people could go in there. And so the Jews couldn't draw near. They thought the temple was where God's presence was still confined to. And so Christ, what the author is telling these Jews is that Christ is the high priest that you've read about from Zechariah 6. And you might not know Zechariah 6 off the top of your head. I had to look it up myself. You probably knew it off the top of your head. Or Christ's blood that it talks about sprinkling clean and washing us pure with pure water. That's Ezekiel 36. What the author is doing is saying and showing us that Christ is the reason that we can approach God. Like the whole book of Hebrews is about Christ being sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Christ being the Messiah of the Old Testament. All of Hebrews is like taking the Old Testament and just showing us this is how God has worked. And it's saying that we can draw near to God because God has drawn near to us. We can have life because Christ has taken on the death that we deserve. There's no longer a curtain That keeps us from God's presence, but rather because of what Christ has done and because Christ ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, we can have the presence of God with us now. So we can draw near. The second thing in verse 23 is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So the second thing we do is we hold fast. I love this without wavering. It's like this strength that we have because we're so consistent as people. No, we're, we're so inconsistent. <laughs> we do, we hold fast without wavering because he is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. So the person that gives us the, the ability to draw near is the same person that gives us the ability to hold fast. He is the one that is faithful. And what I want you to see here is that the drawing near, there's a progression here. We draw near, we hold fast, and then we build up. We draw near, we hold fast, and then we build up. But here's the reality. So often, and I'm, I'm like the king of this. I come to the scripture and I'm like, just tell me what to do so I can be better, so God can love me more. That's a lie. That's not how this works. It is not based on works. God loves us unconditionally. Therefore, we draw near because of what Christ has done. We hold fast to his faithfulness. And because of all of that, then therefore, we can build other people up. We don't do good to get good. We are made righteous because of what Christ has done and then therefore we go and we encourage others and we build others up and we there in some ways do good. But we always flip it and I even just flipped it now that to set, tell you to build up and be encouraging and quit wasting your words. But so often we jump to the horizontal, the application of building up and we miss the vertical, newsflash. This is why we're called vertical, all right? Because the focus is on God. The focus and the priority is our relationship with Christ, and that changes the horizontal. And so tonight, I just want to ask you, like, if I were to say, how, how are you doing spiritually, you might quickly think, like, how am I doing horizontally? How am I sinning? How am I doing all these different things? Or, all, you know, am I wasting my words like I just talked about? But here's the reality. What's most important is the vertical. And so often we base it on the horizontal. We jump to the application before we know How and why, and how do we get to the application? Because we can't build up without first drawing near. You can't give hope in Christ, i.e., encouragement. You can't give hope in Christ without first knowing Christ Himself. You see, we don't have this gossip problem, we don't have a problem with our words, we have a problem with not rightly understanding the gospel. And how it applies to our lives. It's like a prereq. I remember not being able to take certain classes in college because there were prerequisites required. You have these, you've experienced these. Anybody ever not been able to get into a class that they wanted to because they didn't have the correct prereqs. And whenever we, whenever we see this, whenever this happens, we're, honestly I was always ticked whenever it happened. I'd be like, this class sounds bomb. Why do I have to take 15 other classes before I can get into that one, right? This doesn't even make sense. This is, I, discrimination, honestly. I was like, come on, help a brother out. I need to take a good class. But what we don't understand is that they're there to protect us from getting in to a class that's over our head. And we don't fully understand the material. And so the prereq to encouragement. Like, I don't want you to leave here and go encourage people, honestly. The prereq to encouragement. Encouragement is no Christ. Draw near to the Father because of what Christ has done. Hold fast firmly to the faith and then we can apply that. But it's the gospel every time. It's the drawing near that comes before the holding fast that comes before the building up. And so how do we apply this? Now that we put this in the right order, the right progression, I want us to spend some extended time talking about encouragement because I think we're not very good at it. And I can say that to you because about a week or two ago, about a week ago, somebody a, a local pastor who I will not name, he challenged me. He was like, "Dude, you are t- terrible at encouraging. You're uncomfortable, you're awkward." And I was like, "Thank you." So encouraging, right? So great. <laughs> but it struck me. And I had already been thinking a lot about encouraging. Like I knew that there's this gap. Like I, I just, I, for whatever reason, I knew. When he said it, I was like, you're right. I'm the king of receiving encouragement and then being like, I, in fact, this happened today. Jeremy Vitt texts me one of our faculty advisors who's absolutely amazing, who allows us to meet in the Farrell Center. He is a godsend. Where are you, Jeremy? Are you in here? He's over there. Thank you, Jeremy. I think you're over there. Anyways, uh, Jeremy texted me. He's like, dude, I'm so proud of who you are, the way God has made you. All these different things. He's encouraged me via text message on my way here. And my first thought was like, dude, thank you. I'm so proud of you too. And this, it's like, I'm always, I'm receiving it, but I'm never initiating encouragement. I'm literally on my way here. And I'm like, add that point to the list, right? Like we need to be initiators of encouragement. And if you don't understand why Hebrews three, the same author that wrote the other portion says this in Hebrews three thirteen: we should encourage and exhort one another every day. How often? Every day, as long as it's called today. So pretty much as long as humanity exists, we need to be encouragers every day that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. This is the reality. Our hearts become hard. Some of you are sitting here frustrated that you're even here. Somebody dragged you here. Some of you are numb. You wish that you could sing the words in worship because the deceitfulness of sin has hardened our hearts. And one of the fixes to this is for us to encourage one another. Not just be receivers of encouragement, but to be initiators of encouragement. And so I, with you, want to be like this. Like I think that we can do this. But first, what is encouragement not? Encouragement is not flattery. Make that real clear. It's not puffing up somebody or crafting words to make somebody feel good. It's not, you know, saying the perfectly right thing to rescue somebody from darkness or the blues or depression. That's not what it is. Encouragement is giving courage through hope, truth and love. Encouragement is giving courage, it's giving security, it's giving support through hope, truth and love. And as I said, I want us to be initiators of encouragement. Don't just give it after somebody gives it to you. In fact, if somebody encourages you after tonight, I want you to say thank you and just move on. You don't have to necessarily respond with encouragement. You should be an initiator of encouragement. And timing of encouragement is important. I'm learning this. I'm awful at this. Here's my one piece of advice. If you think it, say it. It's very simple. Like, just write that down. I'm serious. This this is even great marriage advice. I'm not married, but I heard somebody say this at a marriage conference. Like, if you think something positive about your roommate, your classmate, your friend, your parent, your this or your that, say it. If you think it, say it. Think it, say it. So my challenge to you is encourage somebody every day this week. And you might rightfully ask the question, who? I want you to write these down. Like this should be a checklist. Not because we're going to go do this so God can love us. No, but because of what Christ has done and everyone needs encouragement because of our hearts being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm going to give us seven people. Here are the people. First, somebody from your community. I want you to encourage somebody from your community. Roommates, friends, classmates. I want to encourage I want you to encourage one of your disciples or somebody that's discipling you. And this would be a right time to ask the question or even say, if you don't have disciples, then pray and find people to disciple. That's what we're called to. Community, disciples, your pastor. If you don't, Have a pastor, you need to connect to a local church this Sunday, you need to go up to the pastor and you need to tell them exactly what encouraged them. Every pastor in the city of Waco should be encouraged because of y'all this Sunday. Do not just shoot them an email or do that. I want you to go up to them and I want you to encourage them. I want you to use something specific that they taught and that they said that was encouraging to your heart. Don't be like, man, I really like your shoes. No. Preachers and sneakers is cool, but that's not what we're looking for here. I want you to encourage your pastor and then I want you to encourage your parents. And This might be hard for some of you. If you don't have parents, like someone who's like a parent to you. And I don't know what you're like, like this is hard for me. Like I haven't talked to my dad since, well, actually I saw him at my brother's wedding. Before that, I didn't talk to him since the summer. Didn't talk to him on my birthday, didn't talk to him on Christmas. So I want you to encourage your parents, both of them. If you have both, both of them. I want you to encourage a professor this week. Beware of flattery on this one, like you're trying to get that A. Don't encourage that one. All right? Don't encourage the professor that you need to kind of up that up that grade. I want you to encourage a random person. Is that seven? One, two. Three, four, five, six. And I want you to, along the same lines, just quit being so critical and making fun of one another. And, and I have in my notes, I am the worst at this. I remember I was in college and I, I was making fun of somebody. And uh, this girl was like, why do you do that? It's like, I honestly, I don't know. She's like, you're making fun of a Christian. Whoever I was making fun of was a Christian. And she's like, you do realize being a Christian is hard enough. Maybe you shouldn't make fun of them. And it struck me. I mean, I haven't forgotten it to this day. This girl just speaking truth into me. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Thank you. And it's true. Following Christ is hard enough. So quit making it harder on our brothers and sisters. And we can encourage by leaving a note, sending a text. As I said, you could send an email, but I don't want you to do that to your pastor. I want you to encourage them face-to-face. You can make a video. You could send voice memos. Some of the best things I've ever received are voice memos from people. And you could give like a worldly encouragement. Like I made fun of the, you know, the preachers and sneakers thing. Like you could say to somebody, one of your roommates this week, like you look so nice. Like that, that's a great thing. You can say that. And I, I want you to say that. But I also want you to grow in encouragement in, in things that matter, things that won't fade. You could say, God has gifted you with a caring heart. God has gifted you with a humble confidence. You're so kind and thoughtful. God has made you with a specific purpose. Honestly, like this is the encouragement for you. Like your identity isn't in whatever your GPA is right now. Amen? Yeah, like that's great. Your identity isn't in whatever is on your T-shirt. Mine isn't either. Like our identity isn't in how we perform. It's not in how we behave. It's not in our beauty. It's not in our relationship status. It's in Christ. Let me encourage you with that. Let me encourage you with he knows and made you exactly the way you are. He's not going to love you one day when you're better. He loves you today. He isn't surprised by your sin. He's not even surprised by your accomplishments or your lack of accomplishments or whatever. God loves you. It's a very simple encouragement. Did you know God loves you so much? So, so much that He was willing to prove that love by sending His one and only Son. Like it's already been done, like it, He's been sent. The love's been proven. God loves you. You can encourage somebody with something as simple as that. I remember somebody walked up to me when I was in college. I was having one of the worst days of college. And somebody just out of nowhere, I'm walking. They said, hey, I want you to know God loves you. They kept walking. And I kid you not, just boom. It's exactly what I needed. Felt like the world was crashing all around me. I needed that encouragement. And so in summary draw near, hold fast, and build up. We need to stop wasting our words and start encouraging. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for behavior modification. I'm advocating that we go to the person of Jesus and we be encouraged by what he's done for us and then we go encourage others. And I just want to quickly talk about gossip. Gossip. Because many of you are starting wildfires of destruction with your words about other people and what they've done. And I want you to know that just because it's true doesn't mean that you should say it. And the reason why I say that is because back in the day there was this person who was like the most lost person you could ever think of. Like the worst person ever Sinner, but like further than sinner, like murderer bad, right? And what, what what ended up happening is this person actually came to know Jesus. And nobody believed it. Because so many people have been gossiping, like, man, this person's so awful, this person's so bad, too far gone. And maybe you think that's you. That's not true, obviously. It's a lie. But people were saying that. Even Christians were saying like, no, it can't be true that this person came to know Jesus. The very people that we're gossiping about are the very people that need the gospel. We're labeling them as our sin and we ourselves aren't labeled as our sin. We're labeled as being a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, being fully washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus Christ. So why would we... Why would we gossip about other people's sin and the way they've fallen short? And so this person, this guy, it got so bad where he he actually got brought to like the head of all Christianity and and he came before them. And yes, this is a Bible story. (laughs) He came before the disciples and the disciples said, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They didn't believe that God could really do that because of all that they had heard and all that they had said and all that had been gossiped about this person. But Barnabas, some of you have never heard of Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. This guy, this encourager, this guy who's literally known as being an encourager, it's in his name. He steps forward and he took him, him being Paul, and he brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas encourages Paul. He risks his life. He puts it all on the line. The son of encouragement. The disciples weren't gonna let Paul in Christianity. Can you imagine that? The dude that wrote half the New Testament, the disciples were like, no. But the son of encouragement had to step in, stand in the gap, stand up for Paul. And Paul then preached boldly in Jerusalem and Acts 9.31 says this. I want you to hear this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. We need to be like Barnabas because that's how the church is built up and that's how the church multiplies. So let's quit wasting our words and let's be encouragers. Let me pray that we would be that way. Father, help us to be encouragers. Help us to not just be people who apply your word without rightly understanding that we apply because of what you've done for us on the cross. Because of the gospel, we're encouragers and that's it. So I actually pray that no one would leave here. If their only takeaway is go encourage, would they not leave here and encourage people? But would the primary takeaway be you, Jesus, would a relationship with you, but would drawing near to to you be the primary takeaway? And then would be the fruit of that takeaway, would it be that we would be encouragers and would that encouragement change our professors? Would it change our parents? Would it change our classmates? Would it change our roommates? Would it change random people we run into this week? Would it even encourage our pastors this week? I pray every pastor would be encouraged. I pray every person in here would be encouraged. I pray that every person in here would be encouraged just by the simple truth that you love them unconditionally Lord thank you for that that simple encouragement we pray this in your son Jesus name amen